Welcome back everyone, I'm Colin, and today I'm here to discuss Judy with Dustin of Wisteria Lodge, and we're going to focus primarily on her possession of Sarah Palmer, and here he is now. Hey there everybody, um, as previously spoke, my name is Dustin Carpenter, um, I am a professional musician in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, my current project is Wisteria Lodge, it's heavily inspired by uh, Twin Peaks and Lynchian film style. Um, we are right now a four-part band featuring drums, guitar, keyboards, and uh, ethereal vocals. Um, we are uh, what you would call dream pop, and I think that we live on the stage of the Roadhouse, especially in The Return. Um, heavily inspired by Badalamente, Julie Cruz, and Beach House, uh, we attempt to take you on a journey to a different plane, a different uh, dimension, a different dream, and to bring you back down to Earth uh, at the end. Well, I guess the best place to start with Sarah Palmer is in uh, chronological order. What I was thinking of in the final dossier, I know that not all fans really agree that the girl at the end in Part 8 is Sarah Palmer. For me, it actually made sense perfectly. But there's a lot of stuff that in the final dossier that does correlate with Part 8. I guess we could start off with Sarah and her family, is that her father was a subcontractor on the Manhattan Project, and then it was a bomb test that was codenamed Trinity. Then 11 years after this bomb test, Sarah was the one that ingested the frog moth. And I think one of the interesting things that actually ties back to the secret history in particular is that with 11 years, Alistair Crowley, he actually viewed 11 as a very important number. That's actually the reason why he added a K to magic. And there's just some about the numerology, uh, in this case on Frost part, that I thought was actually fascinating once I you know did research leading up to this episode. Okay, I, I agree with you on all those points that have been made, right? These are all Mark Frost doing his diligence. I completely agree. Um, and so I guess like I, I'd love to be between multiple theories and multiple perspectives, and I, and I do have my own on this as well. Um, I think that the frog moth has been confirmed for us. And I think that all we have to do is watch the scene in which she is crawling on the ground. Her arms are short, her legs are long, and she crawls in a very particular weird way. This is not someone who's reaching forward. This is someone who has their arms close to their hands. Now, if you, and again, if you watch the frog moth and the way that it kicks its legs and it's like, not very effective when it moves forward. And you go watch that Sarah Palmer scene. It's it's very telling. Now, was the scene first? Yes. Was the frog moth later? Yes. Who came first? Chicken or the egg? Um, I think, here's my theory. And I'm glad we started with this because this was my first note. <laughs> I believe that Judy, or whatever that being is that we see that spews these eggs and i thought you know this is this is probably anybody who's been alive in the last 30 years knows about the the series of alien aliens james cameron right now there's a queen in these films right now a queen though making many drones and workers does eventually have to make another queen right and so this astral queen of evil evil has to physically incarnate so that she can start messing up the physical right how else is she going to do that she lays an egg the egg begets the insect the insect invades the host 
the host becomes the queen. It's it's so it's blatant, it's obvious, it's all right there to me. And I think if we're going to bring Mark Frost in this, we're going to talk about the depth that he the 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 little threads that he was attempting to tie together. I think that Jaude, Judy, all incarnate evil that this being was, and Bob, right? And they talk about how, and Bob has a different name as well, I can't remember, um, but that these beings would try to come together to unite and to create the ultimate evil, right? Now, we, the watcher, the viewer, never see Laura Bourne. We never see the sex that would make her, right? We're just led to believe that these people got together and had a baby. And we are also led to believe, via their acting, that we feel terrible for them and that they have lost their child. But I believe that these people, these beings, got together to create, to groom, and to manifest the ultimate evil. And they failed. On that topic, because I, I remember hearing at one point where, um, it was, I believe it was Beezlebub. I, I remember at least that name comes up in the final dossier, but the fact that Leland, he talks about how he uh, how he basically allowed Bob and Vitamin, and that lore was strong. It actually does make everything about her her role in specifically Fire Walk with me that much more powerful for her to actually put up that fight at such a young age. Yeah, uh, it's it's incredible. Um, but again, if if truly she was, whether it be again the beacon of light that she may have been incarnated as, if. Um, Let's just be honest, if the, how do you say, if the vessel is garbage, right? Like, um, personal experience, my vessel is not the greatest. The people who donated the DNA were out of their mind on who knows what, right? And sadly, this vessel can't gain weight. I can't look like an insanely massive American man ever. I can't become some version of masculinity, but that didn't stop some incredibly bright, shining, radiant soul from entering and choosing to use this vessel for the best that it can, right? Um, and I think the fireman might be the god of light, this this ability to move these ideas, these thought generators, to move that energy um, and to manifest that energy. Um, and that these people with their intense power and plans, all the money in the world, Leyland was a lawyer and they had a huge house. They could, they could do anything they wanted and they wanted more and they wanted to, again, taste through her flesh to own her, right? And to, again, we all fell in love with Laura, whether it was in the, in the series or Fire Walk With Me. So there, we were going to fall in love with her and I'm going to save a little bit more for later, but nonetheless, we, they were going to harvest from her, uh, whether it be her death or her life. And she was either going to go out into the world and do things, or they were going to harvest off of us um, by her dying and us feeling terrible. Because when you watch the show the first time, though there might be something in the back of your mind going, I don't know. That's something weird. You do feel terrible for the parents. You really believe them. Because 
I mean, I never had, you know, it's one of those things like my sister wasn't murdered or whatever, or maybe you did. Maybe you have had to go through it. And maybe you've seen people suffer and grieve in such a manner that they don't even know that it gets animalistic, right? And so I'm not saying there's a right way or a wrong way, but I will say, uh, though it can get really meta really quick, the performance that they put on was incredible and also strange. And that's the point, I guess. Um, maybe, maybe grief is unintelligible, but I think, um, just like you know, we've got we've all we have all these studies now, like oh well, A plus B plus C equals psychopath or you know killer or whatever or narcissist, right? I think that when we look at Twin Peaks as a lens, we see abuse, and uh, the family unit dissected completely, and how, again. People either know the darkness because they're so close to it, they see it, or people have put on such a beautiful shining image on the outside that no one would ever suspect any of that darkness. It's incredible. On the topic of Sarah Palmer, now that we're getting closer to Laura's death, um, I actually rewatched Fire Walk Me the other night. And the one thing I noticed, at least in the movie, we're excluding the missing pieces for now, but in the movie that Sarah Palmer's like wearing almost all red all the time, I, I took it as indicative of like a fire within her. Now on the topic of the missing pieces, there's the part with the blue sweater where she's in distraught that she can't find it. And then Laura says, Mom, what are you, look at what you're wearing. And then she just becomes extra distraught. Yeah, there's some about the use of color that I look at more so the symbology in, in Lynch's films. And there's just some about like that use of the color blue and uh, what that means in contrast to Sarah wearing primarily red throughout the movie. So for me, I guess, again, so my theory is, saying it out loud, Sarah is the big bad evil guy, for sure. And so red... I mean, I don't know if, if you really want the devil screaming out loud, if you need that symbolism, it's right there, right? Um, but for blue, Lynch, it's always a mystery. Blue is the mystery, right? And so what I'm seeing, and again, this is personal experience, she is harvesting Garmin Bosia from Laura all of the time, just as much as Leland is. And whenever Leland grabs her face or whatever, She's screaming, stop it. And she's touching her face in the same place. This isn't someone who is reaching over and pulling away. This isn't someone who's stabbing with a weapon. This isn't someone calling the cops. This isn't someone who's booking therapy. Okay. This is someone who is feeding off the abuse. Right? And that whole thing, the sweater, she knew she was wearing the sweater. She knew her, her daughter was all messed up and she knew that she could pull her strings and mess with her. And if you watch that, if you watch that scene with this knowledge and know that people play games and that people play emotional games, people play intelligence games and that a teenager doesn't have all the knowledge yet. They don't know. They really, really believe in people being good people. And that no one could willingly do bad things, especially your parents, right? And Laura, how could she believe? And that's the whole point of all of this, I guess, is that how could she ever believe that her parents were the ultimate evil incarnate? 
How? Actually, and uh, coming back to the final dossier, one of the things that I was thinking of uh, Joe Day slash Judy is that, uh, according to Tammy's reports, that she finds that's an entity in Sumerian mythology, tears apart its victims for nourishment, and thrives on human suffering. You know, when you look at Fire Walk Me with that in context, um, that actually does actually fit pretty well into it. You know, the whole touching the face and just adding to a adding to the fire, if you will. But the other one is that in Laura's Ghost, Grace of Brisky, she actually talks about in preparation for season three about how it wasn't just like the death of Leland and Laura, but it was more so how she allowed that situation to set off in her home and the accumulation of them being gone for years, uh, decades, and, uh, you know, where she's at in season three. And of course, you know, we'll get to season three in a bit, but it, it is very interesting to think of how, you know, you can look at Judy and how that just like fits pretty perfectly in line with everything we see in Fire Walk With Me, at least. Right. And again, it's like, there's the person, right? And that's the, the physical body that's living in Twin Peaks, in the same house, watching violence over and over again, consuming cheap garbage food and drink, trying to drown the sorrow or whatever, right? But we all know that that's a story. And that's a lie. It's that's the story of the little little girl on the hill that like lives or whatever. Sarah is a monster, and we see when she removes her face that she is absolutely dark inside, completely consumed, and capable of instant and massive evil. This actually kind of leads to early on in the original series is that uh, at Laura's funeral. There's one part, John Thorne was actually the one who first brought this up, where when Leland jumps on the casket, it, uh, he's on top of it and it's moving up and down. And then that's when uh, Sarah Palmer leans down and says, don't ruin this too. Uh, there's a lot of people where the first time they watched Twin Peaks and they got to that scene, it's just the fact that Leland killed her was, the, was what rang true to them. Uh, you know, put aside, you know, who people thought the killer was or wasn't, or who Mark Frost and Dave Lynch thought it was is a bit irrelevant, but it is very interesting that that part of that information tips quite a few fans off. Right. I, I, again, for me watching those, watching them act, right. How else it's like, it's like gorging yourself on a buffet. They're all here. <laughs> They're all standing around and they all feel terrible. Oh my God. How can I get more? It's like cocaine. Like it's, it's a mountain of cocaine for these people. And so then he throws himself on a, like, of course it's going to mess up. And of course people are going to be in like the, the ramping, the energy. And as if we're not feeling that, like, that's the whole point. These entities, whether they win or lose, I don't know, but like they're sitting there and they're soaking it up because we're giving it to them too. us. The watchers, we're distressed. Like, oh my God, how terrible. This is so terrible to watch. Oh, how the suffering, the um, the cringe, right? But they're soaking it up. They are just, and, and again, don't ruin this too. His whole thing about the whole dancing and, and whatever, I think there are moments, moments where real Sarah and real Leland are alive, but they're so few and far between, you never know who they are. And so I don't know if that's I don't know if that's real Sarah or or the boss trying to say 
get up. You're messing this up. Actually, this does actually make me think. Um, did you ever read uh, Grace Zabriskie's interview in The Days of Wrapped in Plastic? Yeah, this is one where I'm uh, not sure how you feel on her stance, but she was talking about how of all the scenes in the missing that we would see later on the missing pieces, the one that she wishes was in there was uh, Leland, Laura, and Sarah all at the table speaking Norwegian. And it wasn't because she thought it was like a fun family moment. It was more of a way that Leland was like holding hands with everyone and was like in control of the situation and that there was a, not like a fun hysteria, but like a terrifying hysteria. And uh, yeah, I, I, that was one that just blew me away when I heard that because that was not something that crossed my mind when I watched that part in The Missing Pieces. I think, so that's the whole thing is that we are... It's like, you know, when you spend your night at a friend's house, right? You get a snapshot into the world and some people behave. Some people run afoul and show their ass maybe a little bit more. Um, and then some people put on a very particular show, right? Oh, I, I mow the lawns and I, I don't beat my wife or whatever, you know, like. So I think that we, I think that Lynch has been going out of his way to put a huge magnifying glass on abuse. And I think if anybody walked into your house and you grabbed your hand and said, start repeating this with me, I think you'd be, you'd feel weird, right? And that's the point is that, again, like, I'm just going to keep saying, I guess, like it makes us, the audience, feel weird. And those entities know it. They're doing it and they are soaking it up. It's suffering. It's Garmin Bosia, right? Um, and and uh, Sarah is totally complicit in all of this. And I think they both are playing a game. They just do it with different means. Now, Bob running off and doing what he does, no one in the lodge approved of, right? But that doesn't mean that Sarah can't do things around the house and get a little extra Garmin Bosey off the top. Same, same concept, right? We're both going to kind of nibble away, sip on the top of Laura Palmer um, because it's the best supply. It's so good. This actually does pertain to just because we see it before Laura finds out who Bob is. And then, then later on in the show, when we as an audience see who Bob really is, is the white horse. And the thing that I found interesting about it is that, you know, put aside anything about part eight, is that uh, Mark Frost, he initially said, uh, I believe it must have been back in the 90s, that uh, it's the pal horse, like the harbinger of death. And I believe that with part eight, when the woodsman makes his, uh, you know, has his mantra over the radio, that this is Lynch retroactively changing that in some way, that uh, maybe it can still be a harbinger for death, but then there's like something a little more to it than, than what we would think before. I, no, I don't agree necessarily. I think the whole thing about, like, I, I think Twin Perfect has it dead on in that if you're going to just look at Sarah in a very particular light, and that is she looked the other way then that clue and everything, it just, it's all right there. Everything you want, it's there. The pale horse, you look the other way. Personally, uh, what I would like to kind of play with is the concept that, now again, during this scene, she does her little frog moth wiggle, right? And so my belief, this might be a real Sarah moment. And milk aside, I don't, drugs, no drugs, milk, whatever, white, is what I'm getting. White, whether it be energy, light, whatever. She ingests white. And so again, looking the other way, choosing to not pay attention. When she does her little frog moth wiggle and she sees this horse, this white horse, 
she goes back. Okay, so the, the deal for me is Sarah might have been crawling to her freedom. She might have been just about to shake off some of this. She might have detected what was going on. Maybe Judy was doing something else or the, the entity that controlled her, right? However, who was in the room adjusting their suit? Bob, right? Bob ain't gonna let you just run around and do whatever you want, okay? And so Bob, whether he be able to move electricity as much as I think he can or not, summons an image. And that image is a, a symbol from that time period of her life in which she was invaded, in which she went into a dream and never came out, right? And so the pale horse is this, it's just like a winter soldier or whatever, right? It's an activating image or idea or concept that when spoken brings people right back into this dream of control. Very nice. Did you have any stances on how you felt about the three days after between Leland's death and the wake to when she's talking to Cooper where he tells her that Bob was a different entity and that uh, she wants to go through this wake with no drugs? It kind of stood on its own. It was a great performance by Grace Zabriskie, but I wasn't sure how that fit into your viewpoint of this evil that's been looming over. So again, uh, it's like they're putting on a show for us, right? Um, and not only us, but the characters in the show, right? So, like, we never see that maid that gives her an injection again, right? And that's, like, in the first season. So let me let me kind of get it. We're, we're in the weeds a little bit in the seasons here. And so let me, let me just say this this much. I believe that Maddie is a tulpa. The reason I believe this is that we get a phone call from the parents. We never see them on the other line like we do some of the other characters, right? Now, this isn't just a casting thing. Lynch could have grabbed somebody off the street. Did not. Okay. This is a choice. My belief is that um, whether it be Bob or Big Bad Sarah, they control electricity. They They are entities of the Lodge. They can make things happen however they want, right? And... Again, another reason why I believe this very particular thing about the white horse being a signal for her is because when Bob is sitting there, the record is continuously looping off the track, right? And that click, right, that is a loop. That is a, it's hypnotic, right? And it can send you somewhere. So I think that Sarah is putting on the act for us and for the thing inside, right? And so Sarah didn't ever need drugs, right? But maybe that suppressed even more the human, so much more, right? The, there's a, there's a particular point I'm, I'm going to probably circle back to, but the idea is that because she's putting on this show, it's, it's kind of like a killer that got away with it, if that makes any sense. Um, I don't know if you've seen The Staircase, um, and I don't know <laughs> what your views are on that, but like, even if you didn't do it, and even if you did do it, you still have to go through all the steps, and you still have to put on the show that says, woe is me, right? Um, and so Sarah avoids any serious incarceration, any serious suspicion, and 
never isn't like never interrogated, never taken into the jail, always given a calm touch, you know. And so when Bobby says we're all guilty, I completely agree. But no one ever, ever pulls the parents aside and says, hey, uh, we have all of your Google footage and audio and the times that the microphone clipped because you were screaming so loud uh, totals in about 24 minutes. Can you talk to me about this? Like, no, no, we aren't. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's one of those things like personal experience. Um, I, 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 for a particular period of my time, heard screams way more than I ever heard a calm voice. And this was long before we had Amazon in our, our house, right? And so we, we, the audience, get to see certain moments, some gentle, some definitely not. But nothing is right about this family. And we, as the audience, are continually telling ourselves, well, this must be what they do. This is, this is the game. This is the Palmer house. Um, but, but if anybody else lived in that house, they'd be like, man, this is fucking weird. <laughs> That does make me think. This is part where it's like, uh, you know, like we'll talk about the, I guess, the gap, if you will, from seeing Sarah in at Leland's wake to her in the season two finale. Because uh, I always thought, you know, Judy is uh, dormant in her, but I always thought more so that uh, more so the pain and sorrow that she felt throughout the years, mostly kicking in a high gear with like Laura slash Leland, was what would set her off. But uh, I do think of, you know, with you know everything you're talking about. Is that, uh, do you think that between Leland's White Wake and then uh, Jacoby Taylor, the double R diner in the season two finale, do you think that's just her kind of showing her true self when she presents herself to Major Briggs? I'm so glad we got here. Okay, so, um, so between that time, who knows what she's up to, right? But we know, we know that the Lodge knows there's some stuff going on, right? And I think. Just as much as we have telephones, the Lodge people are able to communicate either psychically, telepathically, whatever, right? And so when Cooper enters in, she knows somebody's basically trying to mess with some stuff, right? However, they win, right? She's, she's the big bad evil guy. She's, she's, she can't get enough. She can't wait for everyone to be consumed, Right, she she might as well be Twin Peaks the town, because she is becoming this all-consuming entity. Right? Was it a true revealing of herself? Yeah, but the the reason why people have a hard time is because Bob at least had a physical body and a thing that we could connect to. Right? We never see the other entity on the other side. We only hear, "I'm in the Black Lodge with Dale Cooper." First. That's just nothing but truth. I'm in the Black Lodge. Not, I'm Wyndham Earl. Not, I'm Annie. Not, I'm someone else. I, me, the thing in me. I'm in the Black Lodge. <laughs> I'm looking right at Dale Cooper, as in you failed. This is, and this might come off as a bit of a devil's advocate, but um, I remember watching that scene not too long ago where it shows um, Sarah Palmer, where you say, there's that demonic voice saying, I'm in the Black Lodge with Dale Cooper. That cuts to the Black Lodge, and it at least sounds like Kenneth Walsh's voice. Because um, at first I thought, like, oh, who could this be? It's not the man from another place. But then I was thinking of later on, like, when 
Wyndham Earl's talking to him in the Black Lodge, I think, oh, okay, this is the same voice. I wasn't sure if you had uh, any thoughts on that. Yeah, so that's the thing is that we hear that I'm waiting for you, right? And so I think just like we were talking about a little bit with James and his Just You performance, we don't know the voice. And it's perfectly great that we don't know the voice. I'm very happy that we don't know exactly who the voice is. It does sound like the little man, the man from another place, but... If you were to slow down or speed up, anybody sounds bassy or higher, right? I don't know that Grace ever originally recorded the voice, if that makes sense, right? Oh, sure. So it's like, it it's what Lynch wanted. And so the lodge or the entities or the darkness winning and cl- like just being out loud saying you failed like you you did all this work you sent in this investigator you spent two seasons you thought you were so righteous and you could not face yourself with perfect courage you the viewers demanded to know the answers you killed the show and look what i did to you i took you on this journey i have taken from you i have consumed your soul you are devoid now I'm waiting for you. Come. There's nothing left. If you think, if you really think that the rest of the story is Cooper and the Red Lodge, come. Please come. Because there's no way you're going to make it out. None of you, right? If if your white knight couldn't, then come. And we know that that, there's all sorts of stuff thanks to the final dossier and that kind of thing. Well, Briggs went up to his uh, station, and then Mr. C shows up, and then the station's burned, right? This moment, because Briggs is pretty happy. He's having a really pleasant mo- moment with his wife. His kid's right there. He thinks he's on the right track. This was not Mr. C that came and saw him and gave him the willies. This was Sarah. Sarah set Mr. Briggs off going, oh, no, like, we failed. We, we have failed, and that is when all of the return starts right there. Wow, that is not something I ever thought of. I just thought it was Mr. C from day one right out of the gate. but um, He's, I guess, he's no, already at the hospital. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, you know, it's, uh, yeah, my timeline might be a little bit off. Or um, he's yeah, in the, I know he's in the bed few, waking up. Yeah, because I know that for uh, for Cooper, or their, uh, Cooper's doppelganger, that uh, there's the, unfortunately, like, he has his way with Audrey, and then, uh, you know, he hightails it right out. I, I guess since we're on the topic of, like, that transition from season two going to season three, did you think there was anything particular that Sarah slash Judy did throughout those years? Or was it just more so this accumulation of uh, feeding off of pain and sorrow throughout that time? Okay, so here's, we're gonna, like, it's kind of like, in order to wrap that, I have to kind of wrap the whole thing almost a little bit. So... Here's the reality. Twin Peaks season two ends. We see Bob owns Cooper, right? And we forever are left tormented, period, right? But what's on the cover of all these DVDs? Most of the time when the first runs kind of came out, it was Laura, right? Now until Firewalk With Me, you know, um, we, it was still, it was about Laura, and it's always been about Laura. So, here's the thing. The moment 
that Laura has taken from Cooper. That sound. I've heard this sound. Now, the sound shouldn't matter. And it doesn't, technically. But that sound is the sound of frogs. Very small little frogs. And if we know about a frog moth and frogs, right, that, and again, being able to control things, as much work as Cooper did, she, that thing, still interfered. Now, it couldn't save Laura. It couldn't kill her again because it would have to change. Like, she has been saved. You can't, like, re-put her back, right? So it just searches endlessly, 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 endlessly for her. I think Laura gets back to her 10 grand in her account. I think she gets off and she does things in Hollywood and, and, and then ends up in Odessa where she is having murdered a man that had a bob orb coming out of his stomach. Okay. But before the moment that she was ripped, Sarah, Judy, living in Twin Peaks and outside of it, forever was harvesting the most tasty Garmin Bosia, and that was Laura's life and death. And that... Judy loved it and, and lived in it and didn't have to do anything. It's a hell of a sad story, isn't it, Hawk? Yeah, there's something in the kitchen. It's in our house now, right? And it's not going anywhere. But the minute that you change everything, this is the idea that, well, Laura didn't die. There's no tragedy. She just disappeared. Okay, why do you think Leland killed himself? She needed a new tragedy. She needed new things to feast off of. Bob can go searching as an orb forever. Judy's already incarnate, right? And she's already got the house. So if I stay here and you go, we can eventually bring her back, right? And so the Bob orb, Judy, they were continuously harvesting via Twin Peaks this thing that we all enjoy and we all watch. We, we love to bring people in and have them watch it their first time and watch their heart get ripped out. And like, now what do you think? You know, what does it mean to you? <laughs> and like, but that is still energy. It's still an experience and it's still something to go through, right? And someone, someone is getting that energy, right? We're supposed to process it ourselves and, and deal with it. But if these entities do what they do, they are so, so very upset that the cycle has been broken. The whole thing about the ring, I think as much as Cooper was like, don't take the ring, I believe, and this is again personal experience, Laura and this generation are meant to break the cycle of violence. And maybe that's why he said don't take, because he doesn't understand. But we we gotta we gotta break this thing, right? And so when you complete a circuit, you get completion, right? When you close the circuit, all the energy flows. So sadly, I don't know that Cooper is Cooper, as in Richard. Is it Mr. C and Cooper? Why? Why would our knight in shining armor want to reunite the hero with the villain? 
right? Why would he want to bring her back to the site of trauma? And again, when he talks to her, you know, hey, your father's Leland, no response. Your mother's Sarah, she's about to fall over. She loses it, okay? And what happens? What trips the breaker? It's And you got to really turn up your TV for this. It's, it's Sarah. And she calls out for Laura. And it's pitched down. You know, and it... And it, and it it all comes flooding back. Whether this is a, rep- a repressed memory or a person that was completely removed by a dimension, bam, the circuit breaks because all of the energy hit at once and um, it's over. You blew the circuit, right? Uh, so much energy has been pumped through that one thing that it can no longer be. It's been exploded, and and the energy is out there, right? And now you have to choose what to do with it. But the house won. The house consumed all. And again, uh, I absolutely love Mary, but she is and a striking, just striking, almost villainous performance, you know, uh, in that we are the denizens of this house now. You know, and uh, we never see the husband. If they wanted to show us, they would have, but they didn't, right? And so is that the thing that was in the kitchen? We don't know, you know, but nonetheless, the reason why Sarah is freaking out and trying to stab that picture and she can't is because you can't destroy that, that portion of history. It exists, right? People still have the DVDs on there on their shelf, right? They have the books, they have all that. Laura Palmer's diary, it is, it can't be erased, but because of the freedom, the redemption and the release, she's not able to harvest the suffering and the pain of Cooper being trapped in a lodge, the feeling of, oh, poor Laura anymore. That's actually a lot to sink in. And uh, I guess I'll, uh, you know, before we get to, you know, cause we, you know, a lot of that pertain to part 18, uh, one of the things I was thinking of is that when we first see Sarah in part two, I noticed the placement of the TV, and I was thinking about, like, uh, it was a combination, not just individually, but a combination of fire and electricity, because Lynch is very deliberate about uh, his fireplaces. And then also I think of when Hawk, um, I believe he says it to Frank Truman, about the uh, how electricity is the new fire, and it's the intent as well. And it comes back to her saying about the uh, about like the loops and uh, with the record and uh, in season two is that you know everything she watches on TV is in loop. It's always some like some form of violence, and it's just this thing that she sits uh, in like a bit of a passive manner in front of. And I should have actually mentioned this when we were talking about Fire Walk with me, but you see like the ashtrays where uh, they're just like two of them, they're stuffed full, and it seems like uh, Sarah's still plugging away with smoking just to add to that indication of the fire. Yeah, I think. That I again, Twin Perfect had it pretty pretty nailed. When there's smoke, there's fire, and I mean, when all of these people are up to no good, they're smoking, uh, or they're about to be up to no good, right? And when, again, if Leland abuses Laura, Sarah is either smoking or about to, right? Now, again, some people smoke after sex, right? So, like this person is either enjoying something, which is a, there you go, right? There's a nice little hint there, or uh, again, the darkness, right? This fire inside. Now, you know, the log lady warns about this particular fire burning the tender boughs of innocence first, right? And let's just be honest, Laura 
if you read into it, lost a lot of her innocence very early, right? And it wasn't just what was done to her, but how she reacted and what she did and how she uh, internalized this, right? So the the intention, it's very important. And I think this is, this is again, kind of getting to to the, the essence of who these people were. What was the intention? Did, did Leland have the intention visibly and Sarah to live a good life? Never in the show did I see this visibly, right? We are meant to believe they have a castle and that they are good people, but never are we shown them doing a thing, right? However, we get Laura, Laura going out of her way to do good, right? Like uh, the Meals on Wheels program, right? No normal kid is going out of their way to do that. But we also know, you know, she's up to some other programs, right? Uh, Some other extracurricular activities that uh, the other kids would never dream of, right? But coming from personal experience, if you live in a small town, there are a few options out. And your parents might be the type of people that go, hey, get in the army. See the world, maybe die. It's your only shot, kid. Uh, I know personally, when I said, hey, I want to do this, graphic design, it's nothing too crazy. All right, 60 grand for four years of college. How are you going to come up with that? Uh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I'm 17. Uh, these are these are massive, massive, monumental, life-changing options and propositions we're putting in front of kids that don't have fully developed brains, right? So Laura, being who she is and being handed some very dark and some very light experiences, has chosen to run. She chose to, I don't care who these people are. I don't care that they claim to be my mother and father. I'm going to do some stuff on the side that I don't care if people are proud of or not. I'm going to bank some money and then I'm going to peace out of here before they get me because it's going to get me. And she knew that, again, depending on whatever, whether it be the diary or just firewalk with me at Harold's place, you know, uh, she had a feeling that it was going to kill her, whether it be her actions, someone else. Like, again, she was hanging out with some pretty rough hombres, you know, and all she had to do is say no. Say the wrong word, look at somebody the wrong way, and she's dead. You know, she's and, and no one would care. Uh, as we found out in the return, you know, there'd be a phone call and they'd say, I don't care how blonde or how many good grades she got or whatever. It ain't going to come back and hurt us. Sweep it under the rug. We're going to keep doing business, you know. So there was definitely some business that was going on. But one hand was washing the other. And in American capitalism, as long as that's happening and no one's getting hurt, no one... No one stops it. This does cross over with uh, Fire Walk With Me and comes back to Hawk's map. One of the things that I do think of is that um, in Fire Walk With Me, when she sees James like right before school ends, she talks about how she's gone like a turkey in the corn. And uh, when you look at Hawk's map, there's the part where he talks about the blackened corn and uh, there's a turkey right next to it and the, and the crop is bending away where it's blackened from like the roots going back. And the reason why I bring this up is that when Sarah is at the supermarket, 
uh, she sees the turkey jerky and it just sets her off. Um, I wasn't sure if there was anything you had in mind pertained to anything about the turkey or anything about like the blackened corn. Because uh, I feel like that there's just a lot in those three things that I mentioned that it just feels like there's a lot of crossover. Yeah, I mean, again, the intention's like massive, right? And I'm, as a musician, <laughs> it's huge. There's this whole thing about the creative process, right? And like, everybody loves jazz and improv, right? But like, you have to be at a, la- a level of mastery to be able to willingly channel the energy that needs to be played at the moment, right? And that means stepping out of the way. That means letting the ego move and letting it come through, right? And you can look at this however, whether it be writing, writing words, public speaking, uh, playing music, whatever. So I think, especially poor Lynch, you know, the poor guy, especially after Dune, was so sick of the experience, I think, in a lot of ways, but he saw the medium and the power behind it. And I think, especially, I don't know if you're necessarily like familiar, I mean, I think we've talked about it, the straight story, Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's actually my second favorite Lynch movie. Uh, there's a lot that I can say about it, but um, I'd love to hear what you think of it in context with this. So the idea is, like, I think that, again, Lynch is talking about there's the whole Garmin Bosia thing and us consuming violence, right, and, like, consuming these shows, the shows being a violent, dark nature, that they're made by executives that are just thinking about money and profits, you know, again, it's it's not like we have TV shows on to save the world, because it's not how it works. Because you got to pay the advertisers so they can have their space. Da 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 da. Right, and that's that's where we are, right? And but Lynch believed, you know, maybe one day, the gummy like will come back into style. And I think you know, it's it's about putting that that rock and putting that rock into the pond and making those ripples come out. Now, again, all these 25, 30 years later, people are like clamoring, like, give me more Lynch. Give me more of this. Why can't I have more of this? And Marvel seems to be king. Yeah. Like it's art. It's not the greatest in a lot of respects, but it's the art of the time. Right. And if you can read the zeitgeist, if you could pay attention, yes, there's some superhero stuff going on, but there are some deeper context right? We didn't know. We had no god bloody idea that there was going to be a pandemic, but we got Endgame. Did it warn us? Did it say that people were going to be snapped out of existence? Kinda, right? Was that in the air? Yes. People knew something was coming because it was very prosperous for a while. Bill Gates even was talking about this in 2005, right? Next pandemic, blah, blah, blah. And here we were, 100 years primed and ready zap a million people in our country at least gone right did we listen did we use the time did we did we use this two hour two years to reshape humanity for the best of all hell no all we wanted to do was return to the past and that's our ultimate hang up especially as americans 1950s america's gone it never will come back let it go and lynch knows that lynch lived it Lynch was the kid in the white picket fence and he still saw the darkness, right? And he said, oh no. (laughs) So I think as far as that goes, we, we consume this stuff, right? And again, I would see if water is the conduit of consciousness, Lynch is saying that corn, what we chew on is ideas, right? Now, straight story was before the return. So 
I believe the straight story is the the sojourn or the journey of a soul. And I believe that when that man falls down at the beginning, he's dead. And that what he's been given afterwards is a gift, a best opportunity, but still a journey. Not not you walk two feet and then you're at your brother's house. Wasn't that so nice and so easy? That is not life. That is not a soul's journey. You're not going to learn anything, right? You're not going to process the last bits of karma that you have. We see whenever there's people on the other side of the road, there's very particular people, whether it be a family, one person by themselves, a mass of bikers, uh, bicyclists. I think this is saying these are, whether it be people heading down, right? Going down to heaven. But to tie it in with the corn, there is a tractor pulling a massive piece of, or an ear of corn. And I believe that this is, you know, again, just like a, a golden orb. This is a massive good thing, a good idea, whether it be a person, a place, a thing, and it is going down to earth to do its thing for us to chew on, right? And so we see this intention, whether good or bad, is put into art, whether it be to make money or to transcend, right? And I know, obviously, David Lynch is very devoutly into transcendental meditation. He wouldn't make art that doesn't have a message or a meaning for you to go deeper. Now, I do I do say those things about like the entities winning and them harvesting our energy, our suffering, but that is if we don't learn the lesson, if we just walk away, right? But we are we are meant to process this. And I think, again, if you look at Twin Peaks as a case study for familial abuse, it just becomes all so apparent and so obvious to, to anybody. And if you find yourself in a situation where someone's talking a particular way or behaving in a particular way, Twin Peaks might be the lens or the, the reaction in your mind like, oh, I've seen this before the crazy eyes or the uh, narcissism or the deflection or the ruminating. Um, Twin Peaks has given me a guide to see things that I should be wary of, right? That might be parading as a lawyer, a mother, so on, right? I think that actually kind of wraps up uh, the arc of Sarah Palmer and uh, Judy at large. I guess now's a good time as any because once this episode is out, you'll have a couple special events lined up for this week. Um, did you want to announce them right now? As far as what's coming up with Wisteria Lodge, um, we are playing uh, officially a sold-out performance at the 50th birthday of Laura Palmer at the Palmer House in Washington. It is... It's a dream come true, to be honest. Uh, we are going to have the time of our lives. We've got some treats from the North Bend Bakery, some cherry pies and some donuts. And, you know, it's it's a great opportunity to connect with the community. We're going to connect with that house and, and Mary. Uh, and we're going to, you know, kind of make, we're going to drop our own rock in that pond, you know, because we've all seen that house. And we've all witnessed these these scenes but to, to be in it is one thing, as you've known. Um, and then the next is to 
kind of make your own wave. Uh, some people send Mary art and, and that kind of thing. So this is us making the art in the house. And I feel it's just, this is so multi-dimensional in so many ways, so meta. So we've got that coming up and we have some performances that are going to be coming out as well, as well as some upcoming releases. But coinciding with the Laura Palmer's 50th birthday, we are releasing officially uh, the Wisteria Lodge EP. Uh, it's a five-track EP, four tracks that we've worked on really hard, but featuring a special guest in the middle, uh, Kimmy Robertson, our own Lucy Moran, uh, is going to be providing a very special mid-transitionary track uh, we worked on together. I'm very proud and very happy of it. So I, I hope everybody enjoys. Those are kind of the things we've got going on uh, right now, as well as the fire, uh, excuse me, not fire, uh, the Falling Into Sin music video is coming out at the same time. So all three of these things all happening at once. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's, as of right now, that's the big thing. But I will tell you the next big, big performance is Halloween at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. We are going to be putting on a live score for Night of the Living Dead. So we'll be performing an original music live with the film. And then our next release, I won't say what it is, but our next big release will be 11-11-2022. And if you know about Lynch and you know about numerology when you add all those numbers together, single numbers, uh, you get 10. And we released our first single, Mercy, on 11-11-2021. So we, I just want to thank you for having me and for anybody that chooses to listen. We really appreciate it and for going on this journey with us because it is... It's been wild and strange and beautiful, and it has taken us to places we never expected. I've enjoyed your music so far, so I'm looking forward to everything you have lined up. And unfortunately, I can't be there, but I hope you have a wonderful time uh, with uh, Laura Palmer's 50th. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for having me. All right. Thank you, Dustin. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.